And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm your host, Manny Navarro of The Athletic. I sound a little funny, and there's a reason for it. I have coronavirus. I am at home. I am dealing with mild symptoms. Um, but it's been an interesting month for me since the last time I did this episode. So I figured, you know what? I can speak. I haven't lost my voice other than some congestion. I should probably do another podcast because I haven't done one since March 9th. And that's a long time. And part of it was because I was on vacation. I went to Disney World with my family, went up to St. Augustine to visit my parents, came back, uh, covered Pro Day, and then caught coronavirus, I think, at Pro Day for the hurricanes uh, when I was out there on Wednesday because I came back and I started to feel sick on Friday, got tested Monday when I lost my sense of taste and smell. And, uh, and now we're recording this Wednesday, April 6th at around 8.20 p.m., and obviously a lot's happened. Uh, I, I was able to watch the first two Canes practices. I watched Pro Day, but I haven't been out there otherwise because uh, they went on spring break shortly after uh, that second practice. And then when I came back, they had two practices closed, including a scrimmage. So it's been an interesting time for me. I traveled with the South Florida Express, went out to California with them. Went to USC and UCLA, saw those campuses, a lot of interesting behind the scenes stuff. Um, and I've been working on some some projects for The Athletic. I did a Canes Conf Confidential uh, where I interviewed people that have been out at Canes practices for many, many years um, to kind of ask them a little bit about the difference with Mario Cristobal, that article. I think it was pretty well received. Um, so we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about where the Canes are They're, They've gotten, I think, 10 practices in. They've got five left, including the spring game, April 16th, the DRV uh, Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. And of course, I got to bring in the guy who I always talk to the Canes about, and that would be Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day podcast. Carlos, people can't see you today. They just see your name because you're using your daughter's computer. Is that right? Yeah, so I left my uh, my normal laptop at the office and uh, just wanted to get the hell out of the office. Forgot to bring a laptop home. Didn't think I was going to pod today with you, so I'm uh, I'm on the backup laptop today, which provides me with no no visual. But you know what? Which is good for the audience. I think this spares them. There's only so much sexiness you can put on the screen at one time on YouTube yeah. before you get banned. And you know what? It's it's okay. We'll only give them fifty percent of the sexiest podcasting duo in the country. <laughs> The sexy dad bods, as, uh, you, as you so eloquently put it last time. Um, so I sound weird. Uh, I don't feel. You know 100%. what? It, it, it's very interesting that the parting gift of the Manny Diaz era to you was COVID. Right. After he dealt with it for so long. Right. With the uh, with, between the players and 
coach is getting sick. Um, yeah, it took me a long time to catch this. I, mind you, I'm double vaccinated with the original, you know, and then I got one booster back in, in December and Christmas. Just so happened to be unlucky this time. Um, you know, you and avoided really, catching it like Mark Pope catching a deep ball. Yeah, that's that's the way to put it. Uh, Carlos, you hit it on the head. Um, and But it finally hit me in the hands and I caught it, I guess. So, um, yeah, I. You know, this is so weird. I'm sure a lot of listeners have dealt with COVID in the past, have all had varying various symptoms. Some probably not, none at all. Um, for me, being a big fat guy, you know, it's always high risk, right? You can't be a big fat guy and, and not get something from this, uh, even if you're vaccinated. And so um, the last 48 hours, besides losing my sense of taste and smell, basically had a lot of head congestion, um, a little bit of a cough. But outside of that, I've been very lucky. And I know a lot of people, unfortunately, have passed away from this thing. So I feel very blessed to be here recording this. That said, I feel like my voice sounds weird as hell. Does it sound weird as hell? Well, it kind of sounds like you want to make me an offer. Uh, I can't refuse on the day of your daughter's wedding. <laughs> a little bit like that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, my wife and my kids didn't catch it. Uh, so th that's been a blessing as well. Um, Pro you? Probably due to their natural social distancing of you. Right. They naturally stay away from me. So... <laughs> Um, but anyway, um, how have you been? How, uh, how's life been treating you, man? Good, man. You know, other than the normal 12 to 14 hour days, uh, pounding away on a keyboard, uh, sitting in front of a computer, doing people's taxes and dealing with people. It's been, it's been good. Um, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough not to catch it myself. Uh, none of my family has, at least my, my wife and daughter have not. So we've been very fortunate. And like you said, man, it's just, um, I know a lot of people have had to deal with this. I know a lot of people personally that, that have dealt with this. I've had clients that have told me their stories and, and it's been very, very harrowing, very, very humbling to me that I have been lucky enough not to catch it and not to have to deal with it uh, as seriously as some of the people and some of the things I've heard from, you know, firsthand accounts. So uh, I feel blessed. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're all lucky um, who get to survive this thing. Um, Let's talk Canes now. Uh, it's been, like I said, eight practices, I think, since the last time you and I spoke. And I think a lot of our early conversation was just, you know, injuries, catching up with all the players who were going to be out, right? Um, one of those guys actually came back this week, Jalen Rivers, uh, the offensive guard. He's one of the two limited guys, him and John Campbell. He was back. There's been two other injuries since camp started. Will Mallory, the tight end, and Jared Harrison Hunt, who I guess got injured um, in Saturday's scrimmage outside of that. Um, and I tried to warn you guys, I guess the last time we recorded, there's not a lot you can say about personnel when you've got potentially 12 guys. Now there were 10 at the start of camp, but 12 guys now who could be somewhere in that too deep. It's hard to sort of sit here and just break down position by position and say, Hey, um, you know, this is meaningful because whatever. I mean, when those 12 guys get back and they're healthy in the fall, um, from a depth and roster, you know, sort of perspective, um, what, you know, we really won't know where anybody stands until then. Um, I'm looking forward to the spring game because I want to see how different the offense looks and how different the defense looks. Um, to me, my Canes Confidential, where we talked about sort of bigger topic issues, like what's the biggest difference you notice in practice? Uh, how are guys tackling different um, to me? That's almost sort of more meaningful at this juncture because Cristobal is trying to sort of set the tone, you know, as far as culture, 
as far as um, the way he wants guys to practice. They're, pra- they're practicing at a faster pace. Um, they're correcting more mistakes because there's more p- staffers on the field. There's like 40 people. Uh, one of the one of my coaches who was out there told me. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more people fixing things. It looks a lot different than when Manny Diaz was here. Manny Diaz wanted a huge staff. He just never got it. Uh, Mario Cristobal wouldn't have come here without those guarantees. So I think from a culture perspective, there's probably a lot more to talk about than there are roster and depth chart and who looks good and who looks bad and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Carlos, I, I want you to sort of direct us here because you read my article. You said you've been keeping up with my reports on the big O show. Um, I don't know if you've read, you know, and, and obviously there's other guys who cover the team on a daily basis and report all the roster breakdowns and who looks good, who looks bad, blah, blah, blah. What do you, what do you want to start with? I'm, I'm giving you the ball in the open court here. You were a quarterback, you know what to do. Played a little point guard too. So I could, I could feed you, uh, I could there feed you in the post, like David McCormick from uh, Kansas. I, I'll yes. feed you in the post. Um, so which, by the way, I, I hate Kansas and I hate North Carolina. They screwed up my <laughs> final in, in the bracket, but that's fine. We're not going to get we're not going to address that. March Madness is over now. Um, so, yeah, I think your, your article is a, is a way to go just because, like you're saying, I think the interesting thing coming out of spring is not the roster moves uh, because it's not a complete roster yet. And uh, like you you said on the Big O Show and like you've said uh, other places, it's not a set roster because Mario Cristobal won because of the injuries and two. Because Mario Cristobal is still looking at guys in the portal. He's still looking to add additional bodies and additional guys to the roster because he doesn't feel like this roster is, is where it wants, where he wants it to be yet. Um, and I think the, the other interesting point is, like you said, the cultural aspect of it, the changes in how the, the program is operated, to me, is the bigger impact out of this spring moving forward, starting with their, their offseason workouts, right? Their fourth quarter program, how they changed that up with Aaron Feld. Um, what Mario instituted, what he instituted in terms of what the standard's going to be moving forward as far as what he expects out of guys, um, how he expects them to be early, not on time, how he expects them to do things. And I mean, the, the one quote that we've heard from Mario every time he steps in front of a microphone is, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And that's that's what he's harping on here during, during these practices, during workouts, even watching these guys as they move around the building and go to class and, and do the things they do on a normal basis. He's holding them to a high standard at all times. And I think it helps when you have 175 coaches to try and, and monitor that as well. So it's, it's great that he's got so many guys. And I think there's one point that you brought up in, in the big O show. Um, if nobody heard it, it's your last appearance. Uh, it, it's very interesting that, well, actually it was big O that brought it up that Manny wasn't ready to run a program like this because he hadn't been around a guy like Nick Saban, that he hadn't learned how to run a program yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? Manny had been around a lot of big time coaches. He'd been around Bobby Bowden. He had been around Mac Brown. Uh, he had been around, you know, maybe obviously Dan Mullins on a, a coach in that uh, sort of era, uh, but he's, he was a big time coach, you know, so he's been around guys, Sonny Dykes. He's been around guys that, that have done a lot of coaching and run different programs. And he learned a lot of different things. The way he implemented his own style was a little different. He was coached under Mark Richt and, um, you know, he just apparently his style, the way he wanted to do things didn't resonate the way it resonates with Mario. And I think I talked about this on my last podcast. Um, the, the, you know, I used a little bit of your article and little things, some stuff, stuff that I've read throughout the spring where I compared some of the top five things, the differences between Manny and Mario so far from what we're hearing. And I think to me, the main thing that separates them is, you know, Mario has done it as a player and a coach. So it's. It, 
where Mario comes and speaks to the to the team and and gives a speech. He's giving it from a, a, a place of authenticity, of experience, of know-how, because he's done it on both sides, right? Whereas Manny gives that sort of speech and he's giving it from a perspective of, you know, this is what I think a coach should say, right? This is what I think players want to hear. This is what I think will motivate guys, as opposed to Mario saying, this is who I am. This is what I know works. This is what I've seen work. This is what I've done. And it's worked for me as a player and a coach. Um, the other thing is, I, I, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, there somebody, a source said that this looks like an Alabama practice, the way Mario's running things. And I think one of the differences is not only because it's, it's Mario's influence from Nick Saban being placed into the program, but it's also Mario mixing in what he learned as a player and a coach at UN because he's taking what the Hurricanes did to build their program and fusing it with what he's learned from Nick Saban and what he learned as a coach at Oregon and bringing that all together. And I think aside from the, obviously the job security that he has with the 10-year contract, that sort of mix of experience is what's brought some of these coaches to him. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, big O, I mean, ultimately, all of this was was derived because people thought I was taking a cheap shot at Manny Diaz, or at least one one reader thought I was taking a, a cheap shot at Manny Diaz. But the reality is, <clears throat> after they thought you were a Manny Diaz cheerleader for the last five years, right? They they thought everything was sort of slanted towards destroying Manny. Um, but the reality is, everybody that I spoke to had respect for Manny. You know, all four of the the individuals, the three coaches and the one former player. They, you know, it was nothing personal. It's just sort of describing how different it is because of the resources and because of who Mario is. And I think you have to you have to just sort of accept it for what it is. Right. Like Manny was had never been a head coach. Mario had um, Mario had been to other places like Alabama. OK. Um, and been around guys like Kevin Steele and, um, you know, just the coaching tree that comes out of Alabama. He's been around all these guys and Manny didn't have that. He just didn't. He, he wasn't a head. Co- I mean, he was going to be Temple's head coach before Blake James freaked out and, and was like, we got to, we got to keep this guy and didn't even do a coaching search. And <clears throat> he's just more prepared for this moment than Manny was. And I think ultimately, you know, I don't think Rudy Fernandez pulls the trigger on going after Mario unless he's got the financial backing to do this. And once he got the financial backing to do this from the university and everybody involved with the university in the search um, agreed, you know, either through, you know, private donors and what the university had to, to, to make this move. Like you couldn't have, you couldn't have done this for Manny. It, it, it required Mario to do it. Right. Nobody was going to put forth this money unless you were hiring a new head coach. Nobody was going to get behind this movement to support the university without Mario being part of it. So, you know, look, the change was necessary. I I think in a perfect world, Manny Diaz would have gone to Temple um, and Miami would have hired Mario four years ago, five years ago. Right. And and, and made the move then. and I don't think it's a slight on Manny when you say Mario is, is seems to be a better fit and a better coach. That doesn't mean Manny was awful or he's bad. We tend to live in this world now where it's all or nothing. 
where right. if you like one thing, the other thing has to be terrible. And that's not necessarily true. You could objectively say one thing is a little bit better than another, right? And still have respect for both things. Absolutely. And I, I think ultimately here, um, you know, 10 practices in, you're seeing the university operate the way that it should have been long ago and basically chose not to. Um, we talked about this on the show a long time. Other people have talked about this for a long time. Miami didn't take football seriously. They're taking football seriously. And the result is Mario Cristobal and Kevin Steele and Jason Taylor and 40 people on this staff <clears throat> and, and just a movement where football has to win. Okay. And they've got to produce. It can't just be what it's been the last um, 20 years. And I think, you know, the next aspect to this story, everybody's going to sit here and, and say, well, Mario has to win, right? He's got to win the ACC. He's got to get to, you know, the playoff, all those kind of things. I think the next chapter of the story, the reality that people don't want to accept is there's still a lot of positions on this roster where it's not championship worthy. Okay. And I've been saying that for a long time. Okay. Um, how do I know? Well, let's take Wednesday's pro day, for instance. You had eight guys, eight of your best players working out. I talked to a couple of different scouts. You know what they told me? There's probably one guy here that's going to get drafted, Bubba Bolden. That's a far cry from Kelvin's uh, initial assessment of 17 before the season started. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know, you got to win. You can't lose to the Dukes and the Virginias of the world with the kind of players you've had here. But you also haven't been producing, like, you know, all kinds of NFL players either. Go look at the NFL rosters outside of Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau, okay, who were two first-round picks, two guys that had good, solid rookie seasons. Uh, find me some other guys in the last 10 years that have come out of this program that you say, man, really good NFL players. Yeah, and even, even, even if they had one guy each year going the first round, that's not elite. That's, that's a, a mid tier. That's a high end ACC school other than Clemson. That's not SEC. That's not big time elite programs. That's not playoff program football, right? That's not the kind of talent that no. produces consistent winning. And you don't always have to have, you know, elite NFL players to win national championships. There's teams that have won in the past that didn't have, uh, you know, 
15 first round picks and, you know, and three different draft years or, or, you know, there, you can win with very good college players um, and a few sprinkled in NFL players. But the point is here that I think we've overestimated Miami's talent for a long time here. And I was always pushing for Mario Cristobal to be the head coach here because I knew he's an elite recruiter. I know that he's going to get good players to come to Miami, um, better players than, the, than there's been here. But I think, it, you know, I think for a long time, it's always just been sort of this thought process of, well, it's the coach, it's the coaching, the coaching, the coaching. They're not developing players the way that they need to be and yada, yada, yada. Rhett Lashley's a damn good coach. Um, he's, he was here for two years. He coached Charleston Rambo to an all ACC second team season. Guy put up some remarkable numbers, but I had a few scouts telling me they don't think Rambo's going to get drafted because he doesn't play special teams. And if he's going to be a fringe sixth or seventh player on an NFL roster, you got to play special teams. So, again, he was your best player last year, right? I mean, Tyler Van Dyke was an all-world quarterback the last six games of the season, but Charleston Rambo was the team MVP. He was the best from yep. start to finish. Yep. And he can't get drafted? Or he's going to go late, 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 late in the draft? So my point here is you were 7-5 and five last year. I'm not trying to build this, you know, sort of excuse for Mario Cristobal, but there's a reason they're still looking in the transfer portal. For guys, the talent here is not what it needs to be to win a championship. It might not even be here to win an ACC championship. You have a great quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, a guy who's probably going to get drafted after this year. You got a really good backup quarterback in Jake Garcia. I really like the Ja'Curry Brown kid. I think the quarterback room is great. I like the tight ends. I think when Will Mallory comes back healthy, he's a guy who could get himself into the draft. I think Elijah Royal has the talent to be an NFL uh, tight end. The Jaleel Skinner kid looks super impressive. I like the safeties. I like James Williams. Um, I like Avante Williams. I like Cameron Kitchens a whole lot. I like some of the receivers. I think Jacoby Georges look good at times. But even with Don Chaney and Jalen Knighton out this spring, the name I keep hearing about is Trevante Citizen. What does that what does that say about the backfield? How good these running backs really are. Yep. Why do I keep hearing that, hey, the offensive line still not really moving the line of scrimmage? They're looking for more guys. And against the defensive line, that is one of the bigger weaknesses on the team as well. So there are deficiencies on this roster. And, you know, we haven't even talked about linebacker and pass rushing. You know, I mean, look, Jafari Harvey supposedly had a great scrimmage. Um, they're still looking for more help on the defensive line. I went Wednesday to pro day and, and, and what was I told? Defensive tackle, uh, offensive, interior offensive lineman, linebacker. Those are three areas that they're looking at. And tonight, Gabby Rutia of 247 Sports uh, reporting that they're even looking at a kicker. Yeah, that's surprising. Um, the kid, a kid out of USC. Um, there's the West Virginia defensive tackle. Uh, so, you know, those kids are all getting looks. That tells me that Mario and his staff have been through spring practice and they say, 
there's still holes, bro. So, um, yeah, I, we'll, we'll get back into this Kane confidential conversation. But I think I, I, the one thing I would take away from this first month of Mario being on the job in terms of coaching actual practices, right? Because spring practice, I think, started March 7th, and we're recording this on April 6th. Um, we're 10 practices in, the spring game's a week away, and they're still looking for players and still looking for help. And whether there's injuries or not, and guys are out because of injuries, that this tells me that there's a head coach who's, who has serious concerns. And, um, you know, again, player development, one thing, but I think a lot of these recruiting rankings and the things that people pay attention to and hang their hat on and say, oh, Miami was ranked 16th in the, um, you know, uh, 247 composite, right, in, rec- in recruiting. Oh, they had the 11th class. If you're not top five every single year, like the same four or five teams that make the college football playoff every single year, you're kind of SOL, man. You're not going to be in that conversation. You're in that others group. So Mario has to get that recruiting to that level. And I think he will. I think eventually he'll get Miami to that level. And he's going to need a good season this year to convince a lot of these elite recruits who have come down here on unofficial visits Um and and checked out the university and they like Mario and the whole thing. Certainly the NIL aspect helps. I wrote an, a big article on on uh, what John Rees has been doing in, in terms of getting, you know, I think over 40 football players paid on the team this year to help in an NIL sort of perspective. That all plays a factor, but ultimately it's about winning. It's about player development, it's about getting guys in the NFL and being able to say that. Because when I was with the South Florida Express, Carlos, and I was hanging out with Brandon Innes, the five-star receiver, and hanging out with Hakeem Williams, the four-star receiver from Stranahan. And I was hanging out with all of these super talented skill position kids, including Malachi Nelson, the number two quarterback in the country who's going to USC. All they talked about was getting paid and getting paid in the NFL and being developed. And so they talk about guys like Brian Hartline, who's about to have two more receivers taken in the first round of the NFL draft at Ohio state. And they talk about Lincoln Riley and how Lincoln Riley has produced all of these quarterbacks who have been first round picks. Um, that's what matters in this whole game. And so if UM is really going to make its way back, this is just the first step hiring Mario, building an elite staff, paying uh, players through NIL. <clears throat> those are the initial steps, but we don't go from step one to step 10 and winning a championship next year unless the guys that are coming out right now start making the NFL and start showing some results to these kids who are looking for results. If you don't start winning 10, 11, 12 games every year, you're not going to get those elite recruits. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's really the tipping point. I think the, the tipping point is one talent acquisition. Obviously that's the most important thing in college football Then two talent development how you can develop these guys. And I think having all those coaches, like you mentioned in your article, makes a big difference because these guys are getting, getting a level of individual instruction that they've never received before. Um, and it's not a knock on Manny. It's just a knock on the resources that were available at the point at that point. And also the, the caliber of coaches that Mario has been able to bring on. So he's not just, he just doesn't have 40 guys. He's got a bunch of guys that know what they're doing and know what they're talking about. So you're talking about a guy like Jason Taylor, Ed Reed, um, Josh Gaddis, you know, Kevin Steele, Charlie Strong, all these guys, uh, Adai, all these guys that have been in major programs, won uh, national championships, played for national championships, coached in the NFL, know what talent looks like, know how to develop players, 
and have a track record of doing it, adding to um, the staff and adding to the skill set of these players. And with that comes a level of accountability and a level of uh, sort of, you know, an eyeballs on you that you can run away from. You can't now say, I didn't get the chance, right? And now you can't say that I didn't get the coaching I needed or else I would have been on the field that this guy didn't like me. No, you're getting all the opportunities to improve, to show what you do, to show that you could take the coaching and take your game to another level. And that is going to be interesting to see who can take that and run with it and who will sort of pick up their stuff and bail. Because we're going to see guys leaving after the spring. You know that's going to happen mm-hmm. based on where they are in the depth chart, based on, based on what they saw. They've, they've uh, got to run guys off, Carlos. They're, the 85 yeah. scholarship, they have to run guys off. They have to. And, and guys will want to leave anyway because they see where they are in, in the depth chart. They see where the coaches have them pegged. Um, and they, they're going to have to make a business decision and get out and go somewhere else. And I think it's interesting that they keep looking at guys in the defensive line and the offensive line because that shows you the two main areas of concern and the two areas of emphasis for Mario has been those two areas since he got here. And he still continues, even with a couple transfers, still continues to feel like he doesn't have what he needs there to compete. And when you're talking about defensive tackle, they still haven't added anybody that's a big body yet. That's the the big thing. So when you look at those SEC teams, you see big bodies on the interior. And you haven't seen that here on the defensive tackle side and the, the offensive guard and center side for a long time. And that's the difference between this program in Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, even a Michigan last year. So that's that's the kind of size you need to be elite and compete on that level. Now, what the guys are getting here now, you're probably going to see a lot of rotation. A lot of guys coming in and out of the game using speed and athleticism as opposed to size to try and create opportunities and create havoc. But at the end of the day, that's, there's, that can only carry you so far. And once you run them into, a, into an elite program that keeps rolling out the big dudes and, and rotation after rotation, you're going to wear down. And that's what Mario wants to get to. And it's going to take a little bit of time to get there. It's not going to happen after one season. It probably won't happen after two. So how much patience will the Kane fan base have to allow him to get there? And it all depends on how the season looks, how it all shakes out, um, aside from competing with some of those elite programs. If they can dominate or at least look like they are superior to the teams in their conference and be competitive with those other teams to a certain extent uh, in the SEC, then I think people will feel comfortable. But if they start looking like they have in the past and playing close games against teams they should, they have no business being in close games against, then it's going to start raising concerns again. Some of the more interesting things that I heard, um, you know, and again, I wasn't out at practice, uh, took some time off for vacation. Uh, they closed a couple of practices once I came back. Um, and, uh, you know, other than pro day, I really haven't had a chance to get back out there. Um, but at Pro Day, I did get a chance to speak to a lot of different people on staff and around the program. And, <clears throat> you know, among the more interesting things that I was told was the improvement in tackling. That was obviously, number one, such a big issue, Carlos. You read some of the quotes in my story, uh, the Canes the Confidential. Ultimately, they're going back to more of an old school kind of running through guys approach versus this rugby style that was sort of developed um, and promoted by the Seattle Seahawks quite a bit um, where, you know, you're kind of bringing a guy down by his legs. Um, Kevin Steele, Charlie Strong, those guys, I guess, don't play that style. One person did bring up the interesting point. Think about all the the labrum injuries, right? Bubba Bolden for one. Okay. Um, The guys who hurt their shoulders, 
um, and, and, and the, and the number of sort of missed tackles. And, and I, I think that's, it, it, that was one of the more encouraging things I heard from the people who have been out to these practices and seen them a ton from beginning to end. And the fact that coaches are sort of, it, it's so much more instruction. It's so much more teaching, right? Yeah. Proper style and immediately addressing mistakes. Whereas some people said that, you know, in years past, um, because they had limited time to practice or whatever, they would correct the mistakes in the film room. Now the mistakes are being corrected on the field immediately. They're taking the time to do that while still managing because of their organization and the amount of people that are out there running practice to get more snaps in than they used to. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting with the rugby tackling. It, it worked for the Seattle Seahawks, I think, because you're dealing with NFL level players who know how to use their body and know how to still be physical while trying to use that tackling style. And you're also dealing with a different type of athlete, right? A higher level of athlete. Um, the other thing is when you, you put this rugby style of tackling in, it can work, but if you take away the physicality out of tackling, you sort of take the physicality out of your mentality as well. And I think that's a difference as well in this team now with Kevin Steele, where he's preaching. It's not just make a tackle. It's run through guys, be physical and be aggressive as you're doing it make your presence felt as you come to the football. And that's also a big change because what we saw a lot was a lot of half-assed shoulder tackling. People trying to knock people over with just their shoulder or trying to wrap and then try and drag them down as opposed to being physical at the point of attack and trying to run through guys, like you said. And I think that makes a huge difference, not just from a technical standpoint, but also from a, a mental and cultural standpoint on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, something else I liked uh, was I asked each of these guys for their sort of impression of Mario. They, they knew him when he played at Miami. All these guys knew him when he played at Miami. They knew, um, they knew him as a coach at FIU. Some of them had attended his coaching clinics because one of the guys I interviewed was a high school uh, coach who's been around for a long time and traveled all over the country to different coaching clinics and so forth and um, knew him at FIU. But the, but the best story was actually from a former player who said, and, and this is great. I wish I wish there was footage of this somewhere, but that when Mario Cristobal was here and I was here as a player, it was no nonsense with him. He had an open door policy, would always talk to guys about life away from football and all that. But the first meeting with him, he broke the podium. Every coach would get up in training camp and give a speech. His speech was a video of cheetahs chasing gazelles and killing them and some of his MMA fighting. After the film was done, he went up to the podium and literally smashed it in front of everybody. Everybody went crazy and ran around the room. He's had that intensity since the first time he was with us. Um, now he went through the coaching tree, learning from Coach Saban, tweaking how he, how he was as a coach. He's cool, calm, collected. He's in his 50s, but he's still intense and all about business. Um, again, kind of going back to the Manny Diaz whole thing, right? Like, Mario, the, the growth process he went through, I mean, that's how he was as a player. He was crazy. I mean, the fist fights him and his brother would get into, Lou, um, the fist fights that all the players would get into when he was here at Miami. He was kind of a wild man. And now he's developed into this smooth operator who has a plan. And he's just very organized from the recruiting department on down to, you know, just everything that he handles. I just I love that little story because it showed you, you know, just what a big difference from the last time he was here. Right. The last time he was at yeah. Miami or the way others remembered him. And, and I think that's such an important aspect. He's lived life. He's gone away and done a ton. Um, and I think, you know, that that that's it's reflected and, and, and seen by a lot of different people who have known. him. Yeah. And I think it's what he's learned to do is he's he's still intense. He's still high energy. 
Um, but I think he's learned how to focus it now. So you could be a wild man and be crazy and, and get guys fired up. But at the same time, that sort of helter skelter style sometimes becomes disjointed and disorganized and can at some point, you know, be, be a detriment. It can't, you, if you're not focused and organized in the way you are using your energy, you could sort of spin your wheels and not get any results. And I think he learned from Nick Saban how to be intense in the right places, how to laser focus that intensity to get the most out of his players. And I think that organizational style that he got from Saban is the biggest thing he drew from there. Because at the same time, you know, when he went away, he coached at Rutgers, but then he was coaching with another, with another madman and, and, you know, and Chiano, because Chiano's a nutcase too. So um, he's learned a lot over time and not just from Saban, but also from his own experiences. I think he learned a lot taking over that program at Oregon, getting another shot to be a head coach and using what he learned and implementing it into the program and trying to feel uh, his way through trying to build an elite program like Saban had in Alabama. So I, I think your article said that he had a PhD, he got a PhD in coaching from Saban. And I think that's added to his, his BA and uh, at Miami and his MBA with Shiano and everything he's picked up along the way. So it's interesting to see him go from wild man to this focused uh, and yet still intense um, and still, and now a smooth operator, like you said, as a recruiter. He is. Um, and, you know, he, we'll get into some of the, the recruits that have been on campus since in the month of March. And uh, just a ton of them have come by. I mean, elite kids from everywhere, Texas, California, um, Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, like all, all of the best players. I mean, there's been a lot of great players that have come by campus because he's here. That wouldn't have happened with Manny. He wouldn't have been able to recruit at that level. Manny, Manny wasn't bringing those guys in on unofficial visits. That's what's happening with Mario. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, besides that, um, one other thing I wanted to get into um, as far as the confidential before we, um, before we wrap this up, and we've hit, we've hit on a lot of the stuff. I'm trying to go through it here really quickly. Um, Let's see what else we got. We talked to tackling. We talked another about- another interesting thing. 
another interesting thing that, that I read in the article that to me is, is huge mm-hmm. is the, the practices all being out in the heat and oh, not yeah. in the IPF. Yeah. That to me is interesting that Manny had his, his practices almost exclusively in the IPF and rarely went outside where that's sort of the key. And I talked about, about this on my podcast to it's your advantage. It's your key advantage down here, being able to play in that heat and being able to get used to it and be able to physically fight through it and get through that adversity and making that an advantage um, is something that not many programs have. So when people come down here in, in August, September, early in the season, even in October, when it's still hot as hell here compared to other places and humid, um, you have that sort of thing in your back pocket because you're going to be laughing in the fourth quarter while teams are falling over and throwing up and, and dehydrating and cramping, and you're still ready to go. So I don't know why Manny was so attached to practicing in the IPF. I know it's a great facility, and it should only be used to me for other things other than practice unless it's like a, a big storm outside, lightning, and you can't get any any reps in because of the, the weather conditions. But any other time, you should be out there in the heat and the humidity getting used to those conditions because that's what you're going to play in. Yeah. And, and uh, <clears throat> in, in the grand scheme of things, um, I think, you know, in terms of the pace, how fast they're running uh, between drills, uh, you know, somebody mentioned to me that players are throwing up like crazy the first few days because they just weren't working that hard. And then this whole perspective of uh, the players saying we can't run station to station because, you know, this is in the past uh, players saying we could, we couldn't keep running because we we're going to run out of energy. It's like, that's not, Mario's not playing that like you they're going to be run like the old school canes that's basically what's been happening and since spring started uh from a physical standpoint they're being pushed to their limits and and they have to be they have to be you know sort of put into that way um I, I encourage you to read the article I mean we we hit on a couple of key points obviously but if you get a chance to sign up and and listen to it uh, or to read it rather at the athletic um you know I suggest you do from a recruiting perspective, um, Miami obviously added the Mitchell Agude kid, um, the edge rusher out of UCLA, who's going to come in and, from my understanding, uh, probably compete with Chance Williams to start opposite Jafari Harvey. Um, he's a good-sized kid, um, maybe not super productive when it comes to sacks uh, in the past at UCLA, but maybe playing in this scheme and in this system He'll be more effective. Um, that's as far as the transfers. And then obviously Miami, as I mentioned, looking at offensive linemen, defensive tackle, linebackers, and apparently kicker. Um, those are all things that are sort of going on as we speak. Um, but they did, you know, pick up a couple commitments. They got the two uh, twin boys of uh, former uh, Hurricanes running back, Bobby Washington, um, who was only a Hurricane running back temporarily. But I remember covering the kid when he was at Miami Killian. Uh, one of the best running backs in the county ended up going to NC State and then I think Eastern Kentucky. And we, we actually caught up last week. I, I was able to hit Bobby up on uh, on uh, Facebook, on in, one of the Facebook messengers. And we're going to do I'm going to do a story at some point on him and his boys. But uh, his son, um, Bobby, named after him, obviously, um, is is a linebacker, three star linebacker, um, bigger than his brother, uh, Robbie Washington, who is the four-star sort of athlete, uh, kick returner, punt returner, receiver, can play DB. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to catching up with those people and writing a story about them and, and that whole thing. I mean, the fact that their father signed with Miami, couldn't get in because of an academic issue. Um, and then, you know, 
now what he's doing now in life. And uh, that'll be an interesting story to write. The other one was uh, the Antonio Tripp offensive uh, guard out of Owing Mills McDonough in Maryland, which is in the Baltimore area there. Antonio, I spoke to him right after he committed. And we talked a lot about how Miami wanted to try to get into the DMV area, uh, D.C., Metro Virginia area there. Um you know, to start recruiting more. And they are after some other guys in that area. There's, some, there's a lot of good time that comes out of the DMV. Um, Miami just hasn't really jumped on it. Uh, the last one was uh, Lawrence Cager. Um, you know, I think, I think he signed in 2015 or 2016. I can't even remember how long ago it was. Not that Lawrence Cager was here playing receiver, but that's kind of the last kid out of the DMV area. Yeah. And it was like an accidental recruitment last minute. He didn't even visit the campus. Right. Right. All American kid. Um, and, Miami was kind of, you know, I, I thought he was a decent player here. I didn't think he was bad. I just, he, he wasn't consistent enough. Um, but outside of that, a good kid. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of where they're at. They've got four commitments. The Andy Jean uh, kid out of Miami Northwestern, three-star receiver, backed off of his commitment, but still says the Hurricanes are high up on his list. I will tell you, Carlos, from watching Lamar Seymour, the, um, the other receiver who's committed in this class, one of the four commitments, that kid is the real deal. He is a stud receiver. And I don't know if he's going to end up at Miami or not, but having watched him in the seven on seventh circuit and his hands and just, you know, how good he is, uh, even amongst his peers. Um, I, I, I would, I would hope that Miami hangs on to that kid, but four commitments right now, Mario's trying to get uh, Jaden Rashada, the quarterback out of, uh, uh, Pittsburgh, California. I watched him in person when I was out in LA. He was actually the quarterback of the team that beat the South Florida Express in the quarterfinals of this tournament. And he had a big, big Texas boy, you know, big white wide receiver, uh, tight end type kid that was like six, five, six, six. He looked just like Ronkowski, um, just tearing people up in the middle of the field. Um, and he was really dynamic. Jaden Rashada was just throwing darts all over the place to beat the South Florida express really good quarterback. Um, you know, kind of reminded me just from a, you know, body perspective of Nikosi Perry, but much, much more accurate than Nikosi, uh, deadly accurate. Um, that's good to hear top, top five quarterback prospect. He did team up with the Miami immortal seven on 17, which is I think sponsored by uh, Ruiz. John Ruiz, um, I know he p- helps pay for some of their travel and I think their video and all that kind of stuff. And so I think there's a good shot. Miami could end up um, getting uh, Rashada. We'll see. Um, but he was here visiting with his brother. I know Miami's also recruiting his brother. So th- a lot going on with recruiting Four commitments. It's going to pick up a lot more. Um, yeah, after spring. I, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's going to be a few guys here for the spring game. In fact, uh, lineback- a five-star linebacker out of Texas, the I think it's the Anthony Hill kid. There's, there's a lot of good players. But early in the process, the most important thing is that, that Mario takes the best of the best kids and doesn't just take kids to take kids. Um, we've seen those other coaches do that here in the past, and it doesn't work out well. You got to get the best of the best. And I know he is. I know he's going to try, but. Right now, and he's, and he's going around the country and he's doing it nationally. So he's looking at guys nationally, not just, you know, obviously he wants to put his claim around South Florida, put a fence around it, but he also wants to go out and recruit whoever it is from wherever it is, as long as they fit his profile and what he wants for his program. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's recruiting. We've got some mailbag questions. I asked for them on Twitter here before we started this. So I want to knock that out and then we can wrap up the episode. Um, 
All right, let's start off with this one, and I'll let you answer it first, Carlos. What happens first? This is from 247 Canes. What happens first? Miami wins the ACC or FSU fires Mike Norville? Uh, my answer would be, why can't it be both? Why can't both happen simultaneously? Like, and I it happened that... this year, right? The same yeah, time. exactly. Yeah, why can't Mike Norville throw up another four-win stinker and Miami win the ACC and uh, we, we celebrate both? Um. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Norval getting fired because I think at, at some point somebody in Tallahassee is going to say we've got to get Deion Sanders here to take over the program. And, and I, I'm not saying Mario can't win it this year because I think he's got the quarterback to win it this year. Um, but I still think offensive line, defensive line wise, Clemson is still better than Miami. And, I, and if I had to handicap it right now, I'd pick Clemson to win the conference. I get you. I get you. I get your. I get your line of thinking. Uh, and you know what? They they're going to need FSU is going to need a John Ruiz type to bring Dion into FSU because Dion's not giving him a hometown discount. Yeah, Dion wants to coach at a major program, but he's he's set himself up pretty well at Jackson State, and he's got plenty of money. Uh, it's going to take a lot to to move the needle for him to say, "All right, let's make that move." I've had this conversation with Kelvin Harris now a couple times because obviously him and Dion are friends. They grew up together in the Fort Myers area. And there's a relationship there. And he says to me, there's no way in hell Dion would go to Florida State. Um, okay, fine. Well, then where would he end up? Um, I think Georgia Tech, if they were smart, they're in a really tough situation. They, they're in the city of Atlanta. Um, they've got a, a great backyard to recruit to, but obviously they've got those tough academic sort of requirements. It's like being Duke in, in the city of Atlanta. And you know, meanwhile, the Georgia Bulldogs are national champions, right? Kirby Smart has had that thing rolling. But Dion in Atlanta, can you imagine the level of success he might have there? Oh, no, that's incredible. I think um, it's a great area to recruit from. He's going to get guys from Georgia. He's going to get guys from North Florida. And I think the, the pressure will be much less on him at Georgia Tech than it would be at Florida State. So it would allow him to operate in a way a little bit more freely than if you would take over the program to be seen as the savior like kind of like well, Mario's here, seen as the savior coming home to try and rescue the program. But it would be a hell of a storyline. It would be. Um, and he, of course, he you know played for the Braves, uh, played for the Falcons. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I think if he's not going to go to Florida State, and who knows what what Dion wants to do long term ultimately. But um, I think the city of Atlanta, with all those you know all the money there and everything in the city of Atlanta with businesses, I mean. It seems sort of like a match made in heaven, but that's all right. That's just one question. I know we kind of went off on a tangent. I apologize there, 247 Canes, but I, I think. I think that's a detailed answer, man. I think that's what people want. That's what they want. All right. This is from J.K. Slay, and it's probably a rhetorical. He says it's a rhetorical question. I got a question. How come, how come every time there's a new coach, all we hear about is it's so different? We fall for it every coaching change and every summer. No need to answer. That was rhetorical. Can't wait for the show. So is my man saying that we're falling for the banana in the tailpipe with Mario Cristobal? <laughs> well, I mean, listen, that very well could happen. Um, if it, All right. Let me ask you this question. Let me spin it forward this way. For us not to sit here and say Mario Cristobal had a bad first season at Miami, what does he have to do? At least nine and three and play for the ACC title. Now, I'm going to spin it back to you, okay? Mm -hmm. What if Mario Cristobal, over the course of five years or six years, ends up being Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. And he makes the playoff once? Yeah, how do we feel about that? 
I, I think the people in Miami's administration will have been let down. They think that Miami, what was it that, that uh, I was told uh, win, win the conference uh, 60 to 70 percent of the time and, and get to the playoff every few years? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the feeling. But ultimately, to me, it all comes back to one thing, recruiting. And can you get the best players to come here? And I think Mario has that opportunity. I just don't think you can squander it. Like, I don't think. And, and here's the thing. Like, if you look at this roster, the way it's set up right now. Tyler Van Dyke goes down. OK, you could probably survive with Jake Garcia. You could probably win the division with Jake Garcia. But I don't know. What if Corey Flagg and Keontra Smith go down week one and they're both done for the year? What do you do yeah. at linebacker? What if, what if Zion Nelson goes down? Right. What if Zion Nelson goes down? What if Elijah Royo and Will Mallory both get hurt? Yep. And, and so, again, this goes back to the, to the whole point of this, which is depth and talent. There's, it's still not there. And, um, yeah, it's scary. Um, but I think ultimately, to me, I agree with you. I think he's got to win the division this year. Everybody's down. Pittsburgh, the defending champion. Lost a lot on defense from that team a year ago, but also brings back some good players. But that's a home game for Miami. They beat him last year. M- Manny beat him last year. If he loses that Pittsburgh game at the end of the year, he probably doesn't win the division. I mean, to me, that's what the season comes down to is that last game. Yeah, and, and you were you were three wins away from a 10-win season when you were had you, you lost by one score, right? And they were mm-hmm. you know under six points, all three all three losses there. Yeah. Um, so if you are what you say you are and you are rebuilding this program the way you say you are and the way we think you are, then they, there should be no reason why you can't win the division and get at least nine wins. Right. And, and I think the schedule is built for that, but a couple of injuries here or there. Well, did you see this guy that I retweeted on uh, or I tweeted out the YouTube video, some guy from Southern Mississippi, his name is Sippy. Well, he, he had took offense to guys on YouTube that are hurricane YouTubers and tweeters uh, saying that Southern Miss was an easy win. And he was just going off saying how Southern Miss is not an easy win for anybody and how they're going to come down here and kick our ass. And that Frank Gore Jr. is going to run all over the hurricane defense. And the dumbest thing he said was, who the hell's our quarterback anyway? I mean, come on, man. These, uh, I, I hope to be one day a homer like this dude for Southern Mississippi for the Hurricanes because I, I just can't be that, uh, that, that obscenely blind when they just finished in three and nine. Is, is his name, is that, you said his name was Sly, but is it really Kelvin or something? Did I, is he like the Kelvin from Southern Miss? He, he is like the Southern, he's like Bizarro Kelvin. He's like the complete opposite of Kelvin. He's Lily White. He's got a Southern draw. He's, his, his blood type is Moonshine. And the guy is like really hard into Southern Mississippi. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to take your word for it. But uh, yeah, Southern Miss, uh, not a very good team last year. And I don't know how much better they're going to be a year later, but. I would think Miami would be favored to win that game. All right. This is from Jeffrey K. Nelson. Any word on new uniforms? I remember at the beginning of last season, Manny Diaz was asked about this, and he mentioned that Adidas had something in the works for this upcoming season. Um, you know, I haven't heard anything regarding uniforms. I, I'm willing to bet that if Mario Cristobal had a word in any of this, it's uh, give us the – old school uniforms with the old school players in them is what his response would be. That's what he wants to see. Uh, I don't think Mario is going to be much in the way, even, even coming from Oregon where they had every combination known to man between um, 
turnover chain and all the other stuff that was sort of brought around. I think simplicity is the is the way to go with Mario and uniforms, but we'll see. We'll see if uh, if Adidas has anything new. I just haven't heard anything. I haven't dug in on it. Um, this is from uh, Kane affiliated on Twitter. Joe Pesci is his name. He's got a photo there, not of Joe Pesci, but of himself. Does Mario Cristobal get a grace period to right the ship? And if so, how long? Uh, well, he's got a 10-year, $80 million contract, so you average uh, eight, eight mil a season. I would say he's got at least seven years based on what it will cost to buy him out. Um, but I think you need to see some results within the first five years. And I, wh- what I mean by results, at least one conference championship and at least either a playoff appearance or pretty damn close within the first five years. I agree. I, I don't – they're not going to pull the plug on this with whatever his buyout is after – four years. Um, I think he's got five years at minimum. And I think one way or another, they will spend more money before they cut more money. Um, That said, I also think there's an expiration date and at some point or another, um, how much he's backed financially could hit a wall at a certain point. Right. Um, So he's got to win. He's got to produce and he's going to lose coaches. Got news for you. This staff will not remain intact all 10 years that he's here. It may not even last more than 10 months. Yeah, it'll probably be uh, pretty pretty different after this season. Yeah. All right. Why do I keep seeing mentions about Justin Flo on the timeline? What's the scoop? This is from JB Vaughn. Um, Justin Flo, like most college football players, likes to troll. Is maybe the right word? Um, garner attention for himself. Maybe that's the right word. Uh, he basically posted a photo of himself on signing day on his Instagram account on one of his movies or whatever um, of the day he announced his his uh, choice with a Miami hat in front of him. And so Miami fans went a little bananas over this and said, oh, does that mean he's going to transfer here? Here's my response to you. Anybody from Oregon could transfer here. Anybody. Whoever Mario wants could end up transferring. here. He recruited him there. So... Yes. Could he transfer here? Yes. Is he going to transfer here? I don't know. Uh, Miami needs linebackers. Um, does he want to stay at Oregon? I'm sure Dan Lanning has, has sunk his teeth into him and already not letting him go anywhere. But, you know, um, we'll see. Uh, I, that's that's what's going on with Justin Flo. And, and to be honest, um, you know, I know the kid was elite in high school and whatnot, but I don't know. I mean, he hasn't done anything in the college level yet, really. Are you are you excited about Justin Flo? I mean, whatever. If he comes, he can't be any worse than the guys we have on the roster, but I'm not uh, jumping him down like he's going to save the, the linebacker position for this team if he does come. All right. A couple more here to get to, um, and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, this is from Rick Smith, Kane, at Kane Stealth. Who to believe? One outlet says player X is having a breakout spring. Another outlet says player X is struggling. Where does the truth reside? How do you evaluate, quantify your sources? How much weight do you give to local sources that have an incentive to overhype talent? All right. So Rick's basically saying, how do I get my information and how do we trust it? Right. First of all, uh, Rick, I appreciate the question because it's a journalism related question. But here's my response. Um, When I write stories like the Kane Confidential, for instance, 
I decide to write stories like that because I have multiple voices of people that I've trusted or know for a long time um, to give me their opinions. And I trust their opinions because usually what one guy sees, the other guy sees that happens when they go to practices together and they're around each other. Um, so it was the way I wrote my article and the way I write most of my articles is if I don't see it with my own eyes, I have more than one source to sort of back that story. Um, in terms of websites and who fans should trust, I would just say this. Um, the websites that are traditionally out there on a day-to-day basis, okay, the longtime writers whose names you see working for the same publications for a long time, those are the guys I tend to trust because they have a reputation, they have a job, and they're not going to break any rules or get things wrong on purpose. If they get something wrong, it's usually a, a human error, something you know that, I don't know, a lot of people lied to them about. Um, so, you know, to answer your question for, for me, how do I trust what I see? I, I, I trust the people that I know are really there and really saw something with their own eyes and that I know are there. And that's who I trust. Carlos, you're the lawyer. What do you do? Uh, yeah, I, I tend not to put any stock into how guys look in the spring, because again, we're, we're not seeing a full roster of guys. Even before Mario, you're always going to have guys out during the spring who are recovering from surgeries, who are coming off injuries, or who may uh, decide to have procedures during the spring and take that time off to get healthy. You have transfers coming in. So I really don't put stock in that until I see guys on the field performing and I see it with my own eyes. I really don't get excited about guys. I want to see guys perform on the field before I start jumping up and down because that's just my philosophy. I read what's out there. You know, I keep that in mind. And then I compare it to what I see on the field. But for the most part, I'm waiting till the season starts, till, till games actually start happening before I make decisions on whether I believe a guy is who they say he is. Great point. You said it from the fan perspective. I said it from the journalism perspective. We, we, we reached a happy medium there. All right. This is from Daniel. That's it. Me DLT is his uh, his Twitter handle. I don't know what that stands for. If this team plays better this year, wins more games, certain players perform better, et cetera, how do we quantify it as an indictment of the previous staff and a credit to the new staff? Obviously, it would be X amount of both, but which way would you lean and why? Well, look, I think ultimately, you know, players get better and worse for different reasons. It's not always just the coach. Um I think in a lot of ways, health has a lot to do with it. A lot of times we don't know who's dealing with what injuries because players lie and hide injuries because they don't want to have to have surgery and go out for the season. Um, so to me, I, I think this, if you see Miami win more games next year and you see players who weren't very good all of a sudden start to play better and you see more of that than you do see players regressing, then I think you can say the coaching had something to do with it. Yeah. And I think also when you start factoring all these things in, you also have to factor in the different level of resources that have been pumped into the program recently and the different level of coaches that you're getting here that you wouldn't necessarily get previously. Like you were talking about earlier, they weren't going to make that sort of investment with Manny Diaz as a head coach. And Manny was not going to pull 
the type of coaches that Mario's pulled over onto his staff uh, because he was not going to have sort of the job security that Mario has and the cachet and the reputation and respect that Mario has. So um, there, there was a ceiling to where Manny can get to. Um, and even if he performed at 100% efficiency at the best he possibly could, maybe 10 and two was the best he could ever do. And I don't think there was ever a hope for a national championship with him as a head coach, unless he hit the absolute lottery with a couple guys uh, in recruiting. But I mean, it really doesn't matter though, to me, I don't want to indict the previous staff. I really don't care anymore. At this point, that staff is gone. All that matters to me is that they win now. Let's see what happens now. Let's stop pointing fingers at the previous staff and saying, this guy sucked. And you know, this is why we've been drank. Listen, dude, it's been 20 years. It's not Manny Diaz. It wasn't Manny Diaz. It was Manny Diaz. It was Mark Rick. It was uh, Al Golden. It was Randy Shannon. And it was Larry Coker. Okay. All those guys had shots. All those guys had opportunities to change this program and did nothing with it and ran it into mediocrity. So it's an indictment on the university as a whole that they never invested the resources and never took the opportunity to build the football program into what it should be until now. So I don't think we point the finger at the previous staff. I think we point the finger at the previous administration and the way they ran the program up until this past year. And that's what we should be looking at. But more importantly, let's look at what happens now. Let's just be happy Mario's here. Let's stop pointing fingers. Let's stop being pissy about things. Let's stop whining. Let's have fun. And, uh, and this last question, it's it's from Calvin. Uh, he says, um, why do you suck as a writer? That is the most Kelvin question of all time. Why do you suck as a writer? This is my uh, response to you, Kelvin. If you're watching yeah. on YouTube, you can see it. The, the, the bird salute is what you're getting, Kelvin. If you're not watching this on YouTube, because I know your, your, techno- your technological skills aren't great and uh, your, your ability to log on to your, your tablet that came out in 2005 is, uh, is not very good. So you're, and you're still running up on dial-up, so you're not going to be able to see this clearly here. So, yes, Manny just shot you the bird. <laughs> I love you, Kelvin. Uh, Carlos, thanks again for coming on and doing this with me. Uh, make sure you listen to Carlos's podcast, uh, MIA All Day, available pretty much wherever you get all your podcasts, including this one. Um, thanks again, bro. Hopefully I'll be over this soon and we can you know, hang out again. Yeah, man, absolutely. Get better. And uh, maybe you can have Kelvin bring you some chicken soup and, and get you on the mend. Yeah, we'll see. I think highly be, unlikely. Yeah, not gonna happen. The only thing he'd, he'd bring me is an MD twenty twenty or something. That might straighten you out quicker than that chicken soup. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you might have that MD twenty twenty and be wanting to run sprints. <laughs> All right, man. We'll catch up with you guys next week. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna do one before or after the uh, spring game on the sixteenth, uh, but uh, we checked in. We were gone for a month. Now we're back. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. Peace. I'm the new kid.